All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Bootcamp Blueprint, the place where personal trainers can learn how to grow their bootcamp and social media. Here's your host, Travis Matern. Hey guys, Travis here from the Bootcamp Blueprint. Super excited to have a special guest with me today. Uh, this is a guy that goes back, uh, I suppose, about 10 years for me almost, um, from my days at university. A real diverse skill set. Uh, I always remember him as being one of my preferred uni lecturers, uh, which, you know, a bit of a pat on the back for him as well. I do remember early on he did suggest uh, I, we... We caught up last week and we had this conversation. Early on in my first semester at uni during primary education, he did suggest I'd probably only last about five years. And, and about five years to the day, I, I sort of started full-time with fitness education online. Um, so he sort of called that on the, on the nose, basically. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, he's gone on through university lecturing, teaching primary school, uh, now private co consulting, coaching with cut-through uh, coaching, consulting, working with uh, schools, working with corporates and working with sports teams. Uh, thank you very much for joining me here today. Uh, I have Tim Perkins. Nice to see you, Travis. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, mate. It's good to, good to reconnect a bit randomly, and, uh, but it, it is good, good to be able to have a sit down and have a bit of a chat with you again. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's really nice to see that you, um, you've moved on into such an interesting field as well. So I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Love it. Now, do you want to give everyone a bit of a you know introduction to yourself, a bit better than what I can do, probably? Yeah, well, I'm the greatest university lecturer that Travis ever <laughs> had. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I was the greatest student, probably. You were the greatest. In fact, no, you were the least great student possibly. <laughs> I, remember, I remember very vividly you sitting there with your legs out, you're wearing a pair of shorts and a T-shirt with your big muscles showing. And, uh, no, no notebook. No notebook, no laptop, no pen. And I said, oh, this, this guy's going to be a tricky one. This will be interesting. But you asked a lot of very interesting questions. And I think from memory, I mean, my version of the conversation went that um, when I said to you, you know, you got something to write this stuff down on. And you said something to me like, you know, as soon as you say something interesting, mate, I'll write it down. Or I'll remember it. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. My thought process is I don't often write a lot of stuff down. Yeah. Um, I find I'm better just listening yeah. and engaging. And, um, you know, the old school uh, technique yeah. of using someone else's notes usually usually yeah. got me by. And it, and it did. So it was good. It's great. It's great to see you again. It's great to see that you're in this world. Yeah. So my background was I was a primary school teacher and did that for um, nearly 15 years probably. And then I got the opportunity to do some teaching at uni to work with undergraduate primary teachers. And uh, I just loved it. It was, um, it was a really timely change of life. And I imagine for some of your listeners, you know, uh, this move into becoming uh, personal trainers, if that's what the majority are doing, that, that might be a change of career for some of them as well. Yeah, we, um, we've got a lot of our secondary teachers. Okay, yeah. A lot of secondary teachers picking yeah. up PT on the side. And the change of career, you know, it's, it's a fantastic thing. For me, it worked out to be a fantastic thing. So, yeah, I worked um, at several unis, but then where you were, uh, I was there for about 10 years until about three years ago and, uh, and then got an opportunity to come and work with a fellow named Dan Hasler at uh, Cut Through. And um, so, yeah, as you said in the intro there, we work 
predominantly with schools. We do a bit of corporate work um, and more recently we've been doing quite a bit of sport work. We do some work with a lot of the NRL teams and um, and with Tennis Australia and, and those sort of groups and um, predominantly in the fields of mindset um, and which we're going to explore today, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, some stuff around mental toughness and resilience as well, which we might also explore. Um, and one of the areas that particularly interests me, which I think is sort of the catalyst for our conversation today, is this concept of um, motivation and engagement through a particular theory, um, which we'll talk about. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah and I've got a, a couple of teenage kids and, um, you know, in, into this world of education and I'm really, I'm really stoked that you're, you're sharing some stuff with personal trainers around that. Yeah, look, I always put it when I was when I was going through uni and doing my, I was actually doing my PT qualifications going through uni, and right. I always put it very similar on, we sit in a role of education as a PT, but just not as, not in the school system. We're, we're educating our clients, whether it be on movement, whether it be on health, whether it be on habits. We do, the way I looked at it, I always took the approach of I was an educator to my clients, and I was, my approach was if I could educate them where they don't need me anymore, that's great, you know, and so where yeah. they got to the point of like, you know, they a lot of them kept coming, obviously, but they kept coming because they enjoyed the um, the community or they enjoyed our interactions together more so than they needed me for any technique or they needed me for anything like that because they, I, I taught them the technique and I taught them the habits and, and those things, they developed themselves and became, you know, like we, we talk about a lot in teaching, you know, intrinsically motivated as opposed to in, extrinsically motivated. Yeah. And for, for clients, it's a lot of the times the motivation is I've paid you money, so I better go yeah. to make the most of the money I've paid. And, yeah. you know, it's okay, but it's probably not where you're going to get those long-term results out of. Yeah, it's not where you get the real buy-in, is it? It's, um, yeah, it's very interesting the way you've described teaching there, I think, that and, and what you're doing as, as, uh, as personal trainers as well is it is, it's it's very, very similar role to teaching. And, you know, as I've often said to trainee teachers over the years, you know, there's two skill sets that we never really talk about at university, um, which are really essential. And that's that one, you need to become a professional communicator, um, you know, because good teachers are good communicators, good PTs, I imagine, are really good communicators. And those who really struggle with their communication skills, that probably shows in their business as well. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is professional motivator, which, you know, perhaps would logically more apply um, or more logically apply in your field than in, in the teaching field. But in teaching, it's absolutely essential that, you know, we become, and, but I don't think most teachers focus on this idea of becoming, you know, professional motivators. That's what we need to be doing is getting under the person that we're working with and really supporting them to develop their own wings. And perhaps as you were alluding to a minute ago, Travis, that idea that, by giving them their own wings, what you're doing is actually making yourself obsolete, which is what a really good teacher does. Yeah, and I think that that comes down to as a coach as well. That's exactly what I was alluding to in that idea of, you know, like, you know, that, that old saying or the old proverb, teach a man to fish and yeah. it's forever or, you know, give a fish and, you know, you might be able to... Gee, you've bastardized that, yeah. Something like that. Everyone knows, <laughs> everyone knows what you're talking Give a man a fish. fish and he'll eat for a day. Okay, that's it. Teach a man eat to fish and he'll eat, eat forever. fish forever. Exactly, <laughs> something like that. You know, he'll he'll become a pescatarian. Yeah, but what we we often uh, people listening in when when we talk mindset, usually uh, quite often we talk around the mindset for trainers uh, to make sales and and have that frame of attitude of like I'm not just a salesperson. 
But what I want to flip this around to is the mindset that like we're a coach and we're an educator and, and how we can help try and foster and foster that mindset for our clients and have them grow and have them evolve with us. That's sort of where I wanted to go today with the conversation. So if you wouldn't mind just elaborating a little bit on what maybe you do with uh, teachers, we'll, we'll go yeah. on the teaching side of things first with when yeah. working with students. So I assume a lot of the stuff you do with teachers is, is, goes back to the students as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. So the mindset's that if, if we start with the mindset, um, so every teacher in every school in the world virtually these days is familiar with the term mindset, but the vast majority of them have varying views on what it actually means. Um, so it all comes from the work of Carol Dweck, who worked at uh, Stanford University and still does and has been working on this concept for 40 years. And her view of mindset is quite uh, diluted by what a lot of schools do with mindset. So a lot of schools talk about the idea of doing mindset. Yeah, we're a mindset school. But how that actually translates into practice can be really problematic. So mindset essentially, like for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with the concept of mindset, Mindset essentially is just a belief that you can improve and develop. So it's a very basic concept in its essence. But as those of you who've worked with clients and with kids and whoever before understand that not everybody believes that. And perhaps you yourselves don't even believe that necessarily across all domains in your life. And so a growth mindset says to us that I believe that I can improve and develop through my effort. Um, a fixed mindset says that I can't. And the thing is that, you know, you, Travis, as a, as, as a businessman, as a personal trainer, as a teacher, you don't necessarily have, you know, you sound like a very fixed, uh, sorry, a very growth mindset sort of guy, but there'll be elements of your life that you're fixed about. Mm. So it's not that we're one or the other. It's a bit of a continuum. And depending on the domain, we can be more fixed or more growth. So as far as you, you know, learning to speak Russian, you might have a bit of a fixed mindset about speaking Russian because, you know, you go well, I've got no interest in it. Um, I don't think that it's something that I could actually do. I don't need to do it. So, you know, it's just not on my radar. I don't actually believe that I could get better at it because there's so little interest. Whereas I know that you're a Spanish speaker um, and you had all those elements there and we're going to talk about these in self-determination in a little while. So, yeah, a growth mindset basically says that I, I believe that I, and I know more than I believe, you know, I, I know and believe that I can improve and develop my skills in any particular area if I choose to. So as far as, you know, uh, teachers or, or PTs or whoever it is that's looking at developing this concept of mindset, either with clients or with students or with your own kids, whoever it is, it's about cultivating, it's about developing a culture within your particular environment where that belief can be fostered. As you were touching on a minute ago, Travis, this idea that it's before we do anything about actually changing someone's view of the world, what we need to do is create an environment where that is likely to happen. And so, you know, as I talk with a lot of people about, you know, and, and I'll apply this both to mindset and to self-determination theory, this sort of theory of motivation, it's about cultivating a, a sort of a garden bed, uh, a, a metaphorical garden bed. When we're developing a garden bed, we, and, and, you know, let's say you want to plant some veggies and some herbs in a garden bed at your own house, before you go down to Bunnings and buy the, the veggies and the herbs or, or go to the, you know, flower power or wherever you're going to buy those, those seedlings or, or whatever it is that you're getting, 
you really want to make sure that the soil that you've got to put them into is as good as it can possibly be. And so with mindset, it's about really cultivating that soil and really putting that time and energy into how do I create an environment where kids or my clients are more likely to believe in, in a really honest way that they can develop their skills and talents in a particular area. So I imagine with you guys that you, I'm really interested in personal trainers, which is interesting because I've never stepped, well, I was going to say I've never stepped foot in the gym in my life. I have a couple of times, but virtually never. And if you can see me on the camera, you can, you know, you won't be all that, you won't be all that surprised that, uh, you know, that's the case. Um, But the belief that you can actually improve in that is, is really interesting because for you guys as the trainers, you are people who, Think about your diet. You are people who think about your physique. You are people who think about your health. You're totally motivated to do this to the extent where you've made it a career. This is something that you get a buzz out of. This is something that you enjoy, and this is something that you enjoy seeing other people getting a buzz out of and enjoying. But for the client who comes to you, they're coming from the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Mm. To some extent, their life is out of their control, or there's a sense that their life's out of their control. They're saying, Okay, Travis, if you crack the whip, then I'll do what I know is good for me. But unless you're there cracking the whip, then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pay you good money to keep me honest about this. I'm, I'm paying you to teach me, but I would say, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Travis, my understanding is that you guys, a lot of what you're doing is you're cracking the whip to make sure they keep turning up as well, right? Yeah, I mean, a huge amount of it is accountability. A huge amount of it is is keeping people on track and, and yeah. when we when we go into like motivation and, and that sort of stuff one of the things that i wanted to go uh, chat in into is a lot of the clients they have this like fall off the wagon attitude of like well i didn't go today so it's all it's wow. all it's all over you know yeah. my diet went out the window yesterday so it's all it's all over you know i ate the wrong thing on friday so i mostly eat the wrong thing on saturday and sunday and we'll start again on monday so it's this the idea of we're trying to put them in a in a constant attitude that they can improve. Just mm. because yesterday wasn't great doesn't mean today doesn't need to be great. And just because you know thing you didn't go to training or you didn't work that hard yesterday doesn't mean you know if you feel good today because you didn't feel good yesterday. If you feel good today, you can work a bit harder today. And it's it's that constant motivation, that constant um, effort that we have to try and keep them a- a- accountable. Yeah. And look, I would imagine in your field that the motivation for you guys is high. The motivation for your clients is often low and extrinsic. So as you said at the outset, I've paid my money, therefore I'll go. And as we know about gym memberships, you know, it appears, I don't know what the proportions are, you might know percentages, but I would say a massive number of people who pay for gym memberships don't go to the gym, right? And, you know, and that's good for everybody in a sense because if all the people who'd actually paid turned up at your gym, yeah, there'd be a queue 100 metres long out the door, right? 100%. Exactly right. A lot of, a lot of gym memberships uh, basically, or a lot of gyms basically revolve around the fact that most of their members aren't turning up most of the time because if they were, you, yeah, yeah they, they, they just wouldn't be able to function. So I suppose for you guys, it's looking at this in two different ways as well, because one is saying, okay, do I want to run a business where I'm going to make, you know, whatever I'm going to make each year, I've thought about what I want to earn and I'm going to make that. So it suits the gyms beautifully that most people don't turn up and maybe their business model is based around, you know, making money. I would suggest my guess, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Travis, um, 
for personal trainers, my guess is that part of your motivation is to be independent business people and make some money, right? Yeah. But another most of the people tuning in, yeah, just for your own context, most of the people tuning in for us, our audience, a lot of them are sort of independent business owners. Yep. So they may, they may contract themselves out to a gym and stuff yep. like that, but yep. most of them would be um, independent gym owners themselves. Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry, independent like <laughs> business owners themselves yeah. and, and maybe running boot camps from, from a school, running boot camps from a park, yeah. that sort of stuff. So I would imagine that you and the majority of the listeners then, you know, of course you want to make some money and you want to be able to pay your rent and live a decent life, um, but I would suggest that for you guys who are PTs, my guess is that a lot of you are in there because you want people to be healthier, mm-hmm. that you actually genuinely want to have relationships with these people and, and improve their lives. Is that... 100%, 100%. Typically, there's two, two, in my very generalized opinion, there's sort of two types of trainers that come in. One that's always been sort of interested in health, fitness, uh, been active their whole life, me. Yeah. And then the other ones who have gone through like a transformation themselves. Yeah. And then they want to share that journey uh, with other people who uh, are in their same or who have come from their same shoes, which I think is a very powerful one because when they've gone through that journey, it could be, someone who's gone through having kids, uh, put on a bit of weight after having kids, lost the weight, and now wants to help other mums. It could be just someone who was overweight themselves and, you know, started training, lost weight. So they're they're the two sort of standard, stereotypical types of trainers you get. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting starting point because then we understand that their motivation is strong. Your motivation is strong, but your client's motivation is, is, you know, weaker. Um, They've got a desire to improve, but they could be knocked, they can take a knock fairly strongly. As you say, you know, I've eaten badly for the last couple of days. You know, it's all gone to shit, bugger it. I may as well just give up on this and go back to what's naturally me. And so that's a very fixed mindset approach because what they're saying is I don't actually believe that I can improve and develop. Uh, I initially thought I could, but it was pretty fragile and I've given up. Mm. And so that grit and that perseverance and that resilience isn't really there. So I would imagine that for you guys, a big part of your work is not just, you know, here are the bell, here are the whatever you call them. I don't know. You call them bells? Kettlebells or weights. Kettlebells. Yeah. All right, listen to me. Kettlebells, here's your rope, you know, here's your stuff, here's your yoga mat, uh, and here's me screaming at you. There's that element, but the vast majority of it, I would suggest, is probably the psychological side of getting underneath them and supporting them so that they can become more independent with this. And look, as far as your business model goes, I would guess that you probably want the clients to keep turning up. That's a good thing for you guys financially. But um, you also want them turning up and showing that they're making those developments themselves. And there will always be new clients. And if you're good, that will attract other clients through word of mouth through them. And so you actually probably want some of your people to graduate and become more, you know, just manage their lives independently the way you guys all do, right? Yeah, yeah, and essentially that's you know that's what happens, especially when we when we work around group stuff. So if we're doing group boot camp, for example, yep. um, you know they become those, some of those clients themselves become just sort of self managed, and they're coming for the the community and they're coming for the exercise, and you don't have to um, you know you don't have to be on their case as much. You know, yeah, you don't yeah, have to cuddle them as much. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's probably not a bad segue now to move into this concept of this sort of motivation theory, Travis. Is that, yeah. is that good with you? Yeah, jump into yeah. it. So I want to talk about this, this theory that's called self-determination theory, which sounds a bit academic and dry, but um, as I've said to lots of people before, if I was to be teaching again, um, this is, 
I would run everything I do through the prism of self-determination theory. You know, I talked at the beginning about this idea of a theory of, or a, a, this idea that teachers really need to become professional communicators and professional motivators. And as a theory of motivation and engagement, this is a really great way to get your students, your clients, your kids, your friends, whoever, to really buy into what it is that they're doing. And I suppose as personal trainers, getting that real buy-in from your clients. So, so they're not dropping off, being flaky and fragile and dropping off because you want them to keep coming. And you want them to keep coming, as we said, for two reasons. One, it's good for you financially and the business. And the other one, it's really good for them. And obviously you're invested in that. So when I talked about the garden bed at the beginning, the garden bed, so self-determination theory, I'm going to tell you about four pillars. And the first one is really the garden bed. And so that garden bed is this concept of belonging. My guess, I've, I've actually got two friends who are personal trainers and I've heard interesting stories from them over time, or in fact, three, if I include you, Travis. Um, but two who have talked about clients who've come along. Um, so one who uh, has a, had a client who was in her 60s, she was a lawyer, she was heavily overweight. She couldn't walk up and down the street. If we talk about a sense of belonging in a boot camp or a sense of belonging as an individual with a, with a personal trainer, that person doesn't feel that they belong in your environment. They see you turn up, you know, in the leggings and the rippling muscles and, you know, the, everything appearing to be perfect for them. You're what they want to get to, but they see the chasm between where they are and where you are as, as, as completely unbroachable. How do we create an environment where that person feels like they belong? Because if they don't feel as though they belong, the likelihood of them continuing to turn up and all the shame that's associated with that, the, the, um, the bad body image, the, the lack of self Shame is such a big aspect of it. Yeah. It's and, like, like, and that's what happens often if they miss a session. Yep. They'll miss more because of the shame of missing yep. a session. Yeah. And, you know, when, when, you know, part of the difficulty, I think, for, for me with gyms or, you know, not so much for me because, you know, I'm all right. But I think for a lot of people, the idea of gyms walking into a gym, it's just such a foreign environment for them. There's a reason they're going to the gym. It's because they've had too many donuts over Christmas, right? Or whatever the parallel of that is. And so they've made this New Year's Eve, this New Year's resolution. They want to go to the gym. But the fact that they're going means that they're uncomfortable with how they look. And now they're going into an environment where they, the way they look is completely exposed. Um, and, you know, I, I did go to the gym and, you know, the first thing they did was some skin fold tests and then, you know, it was shirt off and I'm going, yeah, well, look, I'm kind of all right with that, but, you know, it's uncomfortable as well. It's awkward, you know, being there in the, in the shorts and whatever. And for some people, they just say, this isn't the place where I belong. When I'm sitting on the lounge at home with my family, I belong there. I have a strong sense of belonging there, but I'm not comfortable there. There's a reason I'm going to the gym. There's a reason I've made contact with the personal trainer. But until people like you guys are able to um, create an environment where those people feel like they belong, then it's going to be very hard for them to remain motivated and keep turning up. So, so much of that is around the way that you manage those people um, and, and how you treat them, the sort of respect with which you treat them. And again, these two other trainers that I know, they're so respectful towards the people who turn up. So one of them is, is someone I'm actually going to um, give your listeners a link to a podcast um, that uh, I, I wasn't involved with, but the guy who developed this theory of um, self-determination and a personal trainer, a woman named Cassie White, did on, on ABC Radio a couple of years ago, uh, which is really valuable. But it's, 
when I went to see her, because I was motivated by hearing her on the radio, I got in contact with her. I went and had four or five sessions with her at the gym in the city. The relationship that she built with me was absolutely key to me keeping turning up for those sessions that I turned up for because it wasn't simply, okay, here's the equipment, let's get busy because that that's going to come, right? You know, I imagine that's going to come, but this is about developing a relationship and this is the same you know, as you know, Travis, I taught a lot of maths at uni and, you know, teaching maths to people who've got bad backgrounds in maths, which is a nice parallel here with the fitness sort of world, people who are anxious about maths, which is what my PhD research is actually into, is maths anxiety in primary school teachers, but people who, who see maths as a scary place. So the parallel is obviously seeing the gym or the personal trainer as a scary place. The first two or three sessions I had with my uni students, we didn't do a single maths equation. You know, we were looking at working out who they were, finding out who they were, finding out what their anxieties were and trying to help understand them a bit. And I imagine that a really good coach does that with their clients, right? It's pretty funny you say that. That's identical. Identical in, in I, was going, I was going to ask, so what did this, uh, this, was it Cassie? Cassie, yeah. Yeah, what did Cassie, I bet when she got in there, she found out about why you were there and what it is you were looking to achieve and, and, and how she could help you do that. And she did it, yeah, you're absolutely right, Travis, but she did it in such an authentic way. I don't feel like she was reading off her script of what she does with every client. I just felt really um, it was personalised, it was individualised, it wasn't about the money, it wasn't about, she wasn't trying to, you know, it wasn't a PR stunt of trying to get me to sign up for the next 50 years. It was It was really, so, Tim, who are you? Tell me a bit about yourself. You know, what, what brings a 50-year-old guy to a gym for the first time, you know, and... Tell me a bit about your family. Tell me a bit about your work, you know, and she was trying to paint a picture and we hadn't even stepped foot in the gym yet. We were still sitting in the office at this stage. And in fact, I think back to it, I think the whole first session, we didn't go into the gym. The whole first session, and she didn't charge me for it. Um, the whole first session was just us sitting together when she was painting a bit of a picture. She did some flexibility tests. She did some measurements and stuff, but basically it was about just getting to know me. And that completely changed my motivation for turning up the second time because I'm not an anxious guy at all. I'm pretty comfortable with myself. But the idea of going into a gym to see a personal trainer, um, I really struggled with. There was a high level of anxiety is probably the wrong word, but there was a discomfort with me walking in there. Uh, and there was an embarrassment with it. There was probably a shame that went along with it. There was, you know, I'd always been critical of the gym junkie sort of person and the people I associate with, you know, are more in the art sort of world. And, you know, I, so I, I was exposing myself. I had to show a lot of vulnerability to go in. Um, and I would imagine that for the majority of your clients, vulnerability, they have taken a big leap. You have to hold them very gently when you first meet them, is my guess. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's very, very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, the more people that turn up that look as though they belong, the more the people who don't feel like they belong feel like they're outsiders. And, um, again, so I'll touch back on that idea of professional communicators. I think the way that you hold those people metaphorically is just so important because you have to validate who they are as people. They have to feel that you are their champion now, that you're on their side, that you've bought into helping them to do something that they've thrown their hands up in the air and said, I can't do this by myself, mm. which is real vulnerability. And I think people are very exposed at that stage. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a very uh, important thing that trainers, 
I, th- I think a lot of trainers do understand it, but I, I think it's something they really need to get their heads around on quite often. You know, when, as I said, we talk about mindset and sales. And yeah. one of the things that often happens is they get someone coming in and they go, okay, well, it's $50 a session. You're going to do this. It's, we're going to do all this sort of stuff. We're going to help you lose weight, blah, blah, blah. And that's the sales pitch. Yeah. Whereas our approach is not, you know, don't talk about you. Don't talk about your sessions. Talk about the client. Yeah, have them build that relationship first, and then and then go from there. Find out what it is that they want to achieve, or, or why they want it. What what's made them set foot in this place to start with? Because, like you said, it's quite often um, there's a bit of anxiety or shame, or, or there's that leap to get someone into the gym to start yeah. with, or get someone into a fitness program when they haven't done it for twenty years, five yeah. years, ten years, whatever it is. They've, they've had to take a big leap and be a bit vulnerable to to step foot in that arena. So find out what it is that, that made them step yeah. foot. And, and that motivation and that, that knowledge helps create that relationship. Yeah, totally. And as you said, don't tell them about yourself, you know, and, and I would suggest it's, in, it's interesting. Um, I'm not going to tell any personal trainers how to run their businesses. Obviously I'm completely outside of my area, but um, in some ways the trainer is quite intimidating for the trainee. You know, um, and the the more that the guns are on show, the more intimidating that might be for a client in an interesting way. And, you know, um, you're a good example. I mean, we caught up last week in person, which was nice. And, you know, um, you're a, a big build guy, but you you actually don't wear it as a big build guy. I work with a lot of footy players and their shirt's off all the time and, you know, everything's on display. It's a bit, it's a bit, it was a bit cold. It was a bit cold, yeah. I heard you hadn't done a session that morning <laughs> either. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that intimidation factor is so big. And so when you said a minute ago, don't tell them about yourself, I just think that's so important because they're there. The more curious we can be in the clients, the more curious I can be as a teacher in my students, the more those people start to feel that they belong, that this is their place, that someone is interested in them, someone is going to be their champion. Mm. Uh, and that's your role as the trainers. You know, you are now the champion for that person. Their, their successes are your successes, I would imagine. Is that sort of the language? Exactly, that you know, exactly. exactly right, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly uh, right. And consequently, you know, you've got to wear the other side of that as well, that their failures are your failures, you know. And so I think looking at, you know, your client base and working out, well, look, I've 70% of them only turned up for three sessions. What's that say about what I'm doing? And mm. can I tweak that in a way? So if we go back to the pillars, so the first one is this garden bed of belonging, really, because I would imagine for a, like for a new teacher, this is exactly what happens as well. A new teacher goes in, they're fully prepared. They've got all their lesson plans sorted out. It doesn't really matter who walks in the door of the classroom. They're going to teach that lesson. Mm-hmm. And that's because they've got a bit of anxiety about it. Um, and their way of managing that anxiety is to get super prepared and then just go in and deliver, which really cuts out the student or the trainee or whoever it is. And that's very identical for like new, new PTs as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I imagine you've gone out, you've bought all the nice equipment, you've set up your nice space, you've marked it out, you've, done, you've got your, your protocols are in place, the council's given you permission or whatever those things are for you guys. And you know that they're there for 45 minutes, let's say, for argument's sake, and that they're paying good money for it. And you want to get them, those kettlebells going ASAP or whatever it is that you start with, which denies you that opportunity of just slowing the fuck down and just going, you know what? Tell me, let's, let, you don't want to waste their time. And you sure as hell don't want to waste their money. But, you know, 
investing in that is so important, even if it means you all turn up 15 minutes early so you can chew the fat a little bit so that you are starting right on 8 o'clock, but you haven't gone from zero to kettlebells. That, that's exactly one of our key bits of advice is be there as the trainer, be there set up and ready to, and, and seated 15 minutes early. Yeah. So you are set up, it's all done so that when the first person walks in that door or walks you know, to the park or wherever it is, you're seated, ready to greet them, ready to say hello, ready to see how their kids are, ready, ready to see you know, how work was. Yeah. So that rather than them walk in and just get their phone out and start playing on their phone and then the second person gets in and goes, well, they're on their phone, so I might as well get on my phone. Yeah. Be ready, be prepared so that when the first person walks in, you're seated, you've got your environment set up so everyone sits around and next to each other. So person two walks in, they go and sit there and, hey, you know, like, Tim, yeah. are you familiar with, you know, Bill? Tim, Bill, you know, like, you know, if you didn't yeah. know each other, now you do, you know, have a... Yeah, and you're available to them. And so this is an all-black philosophy, actually. They've got, a, they've got a rule with the all-blacks, which, you know, is a team we can obviously all um, value and recognise as super high achievers. But they've got a rule that if you're not early, you're late. Mm. And, and I think that makes a whole lot of sense because the person, my guess, let's say you're running a group of 10 people, Travis, my guess is that the first person who comes along to you and starts yapping, the reason they're yapping is they, there's something that's on their mind. Mm. You know, and maybe that just comes out as a social thing, uh, possibly, but maybe it's also helping them manage their anxiety about actually being there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that belonging is super important. If we go to the next one now, the next one is autonomy. So the autonomy uh, element of self-determination theory is essentially about the idea of choice. That, so in a classroom, if we talk about a classroom and then you guys apply it to your training, I'm sure you'll see the parallels yourselves. But if we apply it to a classroom, if I walk in and say to the kids, okay, we're all doing this now. So that's, what that's saying to those 25 kids is that you're all exactly the same as each other mm. and therefore we can all do the same thing as each other and that's totally fine. If a kid then is bold enough to say, oh, but, you know, Tim, I wouldn't mind, you know, I, I did that yesterday and I'm still working on this thing and I wouldn't mind continuing with that thing, would that be all right? You know, the majority of kids in schools aren't going to say that because of the power relationship between a teacher and a student. The majority of the teachers aren't going to say, yeah, that's okay because they're trying to manage 25 kids and it's all haywire and that's a challenge, as you well know, Trevor. But the more choice we can give to our students, the more choice you can give to your clients, the more motivated they become. Mm. So it's a very, very simple, you know, um, calculation that when autonomy is in place, when belonging is in place, and the other two, which I'll allude to quickly now, are mastery and purpose. When all of those things are in place, people's motivation is high. Because my guess at the, the majority of the training sessions, um, the the trainer has the highest level of motivation, which is out of whack. Mm. It's the trainees that really should have the highest level of motivation. So what can the trainer, what's the environment that the trainer can provide so that the, the, the people who are turning up to your sessions can be the really motivated ones? Yeah, so, I, think, I think on this one, one-on-one -on -one is where the autonomy and the idea of choice is far more important because yeah. this is what people, uh, trainers often forget as well. Yeah, well... Sort of in a, in a training world, the people find you because they gravitate to you for what yep. you're doing already. So it's almost self-determined. So, mm -hmm. you know, they've seen me squatting and deadlifting or whatever, and they're like, oh, I want to squat and deadlift. So they go to me because I'm the squat and deadlift guy. Or I'm the kettlebell guy. So they come to me because 
that's what they see and that's sort of yeah. what they they want to learn or what they, what they want to know about. So it's, it's almost a little self-determining like um, yeah. straight away. Uh, yeah. But one of the things that, you know, one of the, the guys that many people here may be familiar with, you wouldn't know him, obviously, John Polly, JP. What he does is he just asks his clients, it's, mm. you know, did you enjoy that? Have you, did you enjoy that? And what could make that more fun? Yeah. What could you do? You know, if this is a out of 10 and you've given a six out of 10 for enjoyment, yeah. what would raise that score to an eight? Yeah. It could be something making it gamification. It could be, you know, for a bit of trainer speak, it could be working in different planes of motion. Yeah. So, you know, often as a trainer, everything's, you know, straight forwards like this. You know, maybe it's working in a bit of angles, working in that transverse plane, you know, um, bit of equipment. Maybe they don't want to work with a barbell. Maybe they want to work yeah. with a kettlebell or a power bag or a, you know, or a TRX or, a, you know, whatever it is, bands, you know. So there is there is an element there on the one-on-one the -on -one level. Obviously, on the group level, that's the same as a teacher. It's very difficult to specifically cater for everyone on an individual level. That That is a very difficult thing to do. But then there's that, you know, you've got to, you've got to navigate that path just as you would as a teacher because, like, okay, yeah. well, I know these guys, I know there's a good portion of these guys that love boxing. So let's, let's throw in our boxing session. I know there's a good love, uh, bunch of these guys that love a bit of strength or yeah. love Metafit or love, you know. So it, it's, very, it's very similar, the parallels from teaching to, to yeah. training. Very, very similar. So I, I, that's great to hear how it works in, in your world as well. But it's about our rigidity. So if we've decided that this is the way it is and it doesn't matter who comes along, this is the way I always start my sessions, this is what we always do second, third, fourth, this is the way it runs over the 45 minutes, then you're just cutting out any possibility for autonomy. The uh, JP that you talked about, that sounds very interesting because it doesn't have to happen at the very beginning of the session. You know, if at the end of the session he says, how did that go for you? You know, and even if you're just building in two minutes at the end, I don't know if you guys finish with a little meditation or anything like that, but whatever, if you fill in, if you find that two minutes at the end saying, well, what's working for you and what's not, autonomy goes through the roof. And as you said at the beginning there, Travis, that idea that the clients have chosen you because of a particular skill set that you might have that they've gravitated towards, autonomy has gone through the roof before you've even spoken to each other yeah. because they've found out about you. Uh, and so how do you continue to um, have an autonomy supporting environment? That's what Richard Ryan talks about in this theory is autonomy supporting environments. So is it just, you know, the old style Russian gymnastics coach going, this is the way it is, you do it my way or you leave the program. Uh, and what happens to people when that's the case? You know, their motivation is purely about fear. Um, and which is not, you know, it's a good short-term motivator, but it's, uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't continue after that coach has walked out of the room. Yeah. And if we go back to the beginning, best case scenario for you guys is that perhaps you make yourselves obsolete. Mm. Knowing that there'll always be more clients, you know. Um, so yeah, autonomy supporting, creating an autonomy supporting environment, you know, and finding out things that are specific to the particular clients that you've got and what's going to work best for them. I'll go on. I've just noticed the time, Travis, so I'll, I'll move yeah, on to purpose. Uh, so purpose is a, is a really interesting one. And with your clients, you know, you guys probably, there's probably a fairly good purpose. But my guess, I'll be interested to see your face when I say this, Travis, my guess is that what your clients come to you and say the reason they're there for is not necessarily the reason that they're coming. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, quite often, you know, like people will come in and say, oh, I want to lose weight. Mm. 
yeah, they probably do want to lose weight. Yeah. But the question is, why do they want to lose weight? Exactly. Not, not how much weight do they want to lose? Yeah. Yeah. Why? What, what is that reason? Is it yeah. because they were running around with their kids and their kids, they were getting tired? Is yeah. it because they felt embarrassed when they went to their kids' sport thing or they, they were at a sports day with their kids and it was like, you know, parents together yeah. and the parent couldn't compete or what is the reason? Yeah. You know, like it's, it's a very surface. It's, yeah, like what the, the reason they give you is often a very surface reason. Yeah. And I think that curiosity that I mentioned earlier, those conversations where you're really finding out their story is such an important part because I would imagine that for some of your clients, you know, it's, it's all of those things that you've just said or maybe it's the summer's coming up and I'm thinking about the beach or maybe it's, you know, I, I find my body unattractive now after having kids and I'm not, I'm not feeling, uh, I'm not feeling beautiful and I'm, I've lost intimacy with my partner all of those things. And I imagine you guys have quite deep, potentially very deep relationships with your clients because they're already showing so much vulnerability. They tell you some of this stuff. Yeah. Again, holding that so lightly because it's, it's so brave of them, but to dig in a little bit, why are you really here, Tim? You know, and I remember Cassie saying that to me before going, well, you know, I got teenage boys. I want to still be able to run around with them. I played a lot of footy when I was younger. I'd like, you know, I'm, I'm used to being able to use my body, and now at 50, I, I'm, I, it's not reacting the way that I used to. Yeah, let's go a bit deeper. Why are you really here? You know, and doing that in a very gentle way, not a confrontational way. But the purpose of it here is for me to become clear, for the student, the client, whoever, to become clear about their purpose. Because once you know your purpose, once you know why you're doing something, mm. then you start really buying into it. And then getting out of bed at 5.30 in the morning, it's still fucking hard, I would imagine, but it's more manageable. Yeah. Uh, because you really know why you're doing it. And maybe it was a health scare, maybe it's a body issue, maybe it's kids, whatever. Um, but to understand what our purpose is, is, is such a strong part of motivation. So if we take this to the classroom, we go, well, kids are there because they have to be there. That's really problematic. None of your clients are there because they have to be there. Unless, you know, I imagine there's probably, I, in fact, I know a few, um, you know, younger women who are forced along basically by their partners um, because they want them to look a particular way. And that's obviously a very problematic why, a very problematic purpose. Um, and perhaps you're not privy to that sort of information when you're working with someone. Hmm. Um, but so your clients are generally coming of their own volition, right? Yeah. Um, but to really understand their purpose, what is it that I'm turning up for makes a big difference to their motivation. Uh, and so I would imagine spending some time, look, I, I, I'm guessing that, you know, with the personal trainer, the kettlebells and all the other paraphernalia, the running, everything is super important. But I would imagine there's at least a sort of 15 to 20% aspect of your work with them, which is psychological uh, and, and helping them sort of develop their sense of self. With a lot of clients, it would be probably a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, With a lot of clients... It, it could be a majority of the thing because it's the difference between teaching and say being a PT um, <clears throat> with teaching, you're seeing them 30 hours or whatever it is a week. Yeah. Yeah. With a PT, you might be, even if, you're, if they're in group stuff, you might be seeing three hours a week. Yeah. There's a lot of time you're not seeing them. Right. So, yeah. you know, there's sometimes that the psychological side of things is the biggest key factor. Yeah. Yeah, so my guess is that that investment from you guys in that relationship and understanding of the client and helping bring out stuff for them that might be a little bit below the surface mm. 
is super important. And then finally, the final pillar is this concept of mastery. So the one that I always think about in this is, well, Roger Federer, as, as you know, uh, I think almost everybody on the planet knows who Roger Federer is, tennis player and, you know, the best in the world for a very, very long and sustained and surprisingly long period of time. You know, he's yeah. in his mid-30s and he's still cleaning up the young guns. Federer, there's a great story about Federer that apparently he won, I think it was at the French Open, and the women's finals on the Saturday night and the men's finals on the Sunday night. And after the men's final, there's a big dinner and the male winner and the female winner sit at a table together and they have a dance together and it's a big, you know, uh, black tie event after the, after the men's final. This story goes that apparently Federer, who won the final, um, before he went to the ball afterwards, went back to, after he's doing his interviews and stuff, he went back to the practice court and worked because he'd missed a backhand in the third set and he had the shits about it. So he went back and practised his backhand for an hour before he went to the ball. So if Federer hasn't reached mastery, there's a fair chance none of us have reached mastery in anything. Mm. And in fact, you know, the actual pure definition of mastery is something that you can't actually reach. You know, mathematically, it's what's called an asymptote where it's, you know, yeah, you have the horizontal line on the graph and, and you're moving up towards that line, mm. but you get ever so close to it, but you never actually get there. So mastery is the sense which ties back into the um, growth mindset stuff, which is a belief that you can improve. So I, I mentioned earlier about this 60-year-old woman who was training with a friend of mine and she couldn't walk up and down her street. And it turned out that within about two years, she ran the city to surf with my friend. And you guys have probably got lots of stories like this from your world. And they're beautiful stories. They're incredibly um, motivating stories. But... The question is, what can we do to create an environment where that woman at 60, having never run before, who can barely walk 100 metres, because at that point she can't believe that she could ever run the city to surf. Yeah. It's an impossibility for her. And putting that in front of her is too problematic. I don't think that's good teaching. But to have the next little goal, the next little goal, the next little goal, so that she can understand... You know, you use that uh, continuum before, Travis. So imagine a continuum of 0 to 10. She's at about 0 0.1. Yep. So the question is not how do we get it to 10 because you're a great runner and you can run the city to surf. City to surf for you is a warm-up for a marathon you're going to do later in the afternoon, for argument's sake. But how do you encourage her? How do you motivate her to move from 0 0.1 to 0 0.2? Yep. And how can you constantly change those and develop with her so that she can move 0 0.2 and eventually you know she's got to 10 she's run the city to surf unbelievable result uh and as i say i'm sure you guys are full of stories where people have made significant gains and it must be very satisfying yeah i think uh i think that that message of for for clients is they always talk about goal setting and stuff like that and 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 there's you know there's the long-term goal there's the, there's the short-term goal and it's important to what happens, I find, is people lose uh, lose track of a lot of the short term. So it's kind of like they forget, you know, three months in, she forgets that she couldn't walk to the end of the street and now she can walk to the yeah. end of the street, up the stairs, carry the shopping bag. Yeah. You know, and, and she's like, and, and that client's going, but I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. So hang on a minute. Don't forget where you started. So yeah. I think that's one of the things that, that – uh, is important to take stock of is all these little wins and, and where people have come from because people often lose track and lose sight of, hey, you know, you couldn't do a push-up. 
Yeah, you couldn't do a push-up when when you came here twelve months ago, and now now you've moved on. Yeah, now you've moved on from you know push-ups to clapping, you know whatever it is. You know, yeah, you've moved you've moved on from that to something completely different. Yeah, and that's like walking walking to the end of the street and and going in the city to surf. They're barely even in the same. You know, yeah, yeah, they're barely even in the same realm. Yeah, yeah. So what I'll do is I'll just summarize those four points and 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 with a story through it. So, um, 18 months ago, I decided, and that's what led me into the gym situation. So 18 months ago, I decided that I wanted to run the city to surf. And by that stage, I was going to be 51 with my 16 year old son who had become a bit of a lounge lizard. Um, he'd stopped skateboarding. He was putting on a bit of weight. He wasn't happy with himself and it was a bit of a downward spiral. Um, and so I suggested to him that we both do a bit of running, which we both hate. Uh, I only run if I've got a footy in my hands. Um, but it you know we did it without a footy um and so we decided to run together we had 14 weeks before the city to surf which just happens to be 14 k's and so we decided we were going to try and pace ourselves through it so if we think about those four pillars again if you've written them down you know so we've got belonging there was a sense so max and i were very much we were a team we were going to look after each other there was no intimidation very much belonging was high we were going to work in an area that we weren't that good at but we were going to do it together. So that really helped with the belonging. So maybe that works for you guys to bring a friend along for these sort of things. Autonomy. We totally chose to do this. I mean, it would have been much easier for us to sit and watch some Netflix at eight o'clock at night after dinner, but instead we went for a run. We tried to go for a run three or four nights a week of increasing distances. Um, purpose. We knew exactly why we were doing this. We did it because we want, you know, I had a, I had a, an underlying thing, which was I wanted my son to feel better about himself. But as far as what he and I talked about, we both wanted to complete a 14-kilometre run and we wanted to do it side by side. And there's only so many opportunities you get to do something like that with your old man and, you know, maybe it'll never happen again. So we, we were strong on our purpose. And the mastery, we got better and better and better. You know, I'm an asthmatic. We were training over the winter. We were running late at night or, you know, early in the evening. And... I was hopeless at first. Running 500 metres was a struggle. My knees were hurting, my ankles were hurting, my calves were hurting. But we built it up. We built it up, then we were doing a kilometre, and then we were doing two, and then we did the Bay Run eventually. Um, and, yeah, on August 18, I think, last year, we ran the City to Surf, and we ran across the finish line together. Beautiful. And our motivation was high all the way along. But a bit like the 60-year-old, the likelihood of me finishing the City to Surf at the beginning of that was very low. But because there was a strong sense of belonging, there was a strong sense of autonomy, purpose, and mastery. We completed it. And to be honest, as you know, some people listening to this will know, it was the longest we'd run. We hadn't done a training run that long, but we could have kept running for mm -hmm. sure. You know, it felt like we felt really good after 14. So, you know, um, interesting sort of field that you guys are working in. And I think this theory might be a really useful one for you to give some more consideration to. And so the theory is, for people so if they want to look it up, yeah, self-determination theory. And what I'm going to do, I'll put it in the chat for our conversation now, Travis, so that you'll have it and then you can put it in for yeah, your we'll clients. put it in the notes as well. Yeah, um, I'll just put it in the chat there. There's a really nice podcast between Cassie White, the personal trainer that I worked with. Um, and when, when she said to me, why are you here? I said, oh, I'm just here because I'm old and I want to get a bit fitter. Oh, really? What, what more? Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And over the hour, I eventually told her about Max and told her about our desire to run the city to surf. Yeah. Because she stayed curious with me. So I've got a lot of respect for her. Yeah. One thing I want to, before we sort of open up for some questions for yeah. those who are here, 
Um, when you're working with the sports teams, because yep. this is this is we, we sort of touched on this when when we t- spoke about the groups, whether it be teaching in groups, whether yep. it be running group classes. When you're working with sports teams that you do, is a lot of that done um, to the group, or is, is it more done to the individual? Yeah. So yeah, it's a good question, Travis. Because it's um. So what we do is we do workshops for a whole team. So for example, you know. Um, uh, I won't mention the teams, you know, some of them don't want to talk about it, but yeah, we work with an NRL team. So we'll go and do a workshop on something like self-determination or mindset for the whole playing group. But then the real power is the individual stuff. So I'll give you one good example of that is, you know, one of the Pacific Islanders, this huge mountain of a man came up to me with his tiny little, you know, voice afterwards saying, you know, Tim, can I talk to you? And he was, he was concerned about his, um, his confidence basically and his ability to do what he's expected to do. And, you know, I won't name him, but he's one of those wingers that scores pretty spectacular tries, you know, where their whole body's outside the field, a hundred kilos midair and, you know, planting it down with one hand. And you just can't believe that this guy could lack confidence. Mm. Um, But yeah, that's the powerful stuff is the one-on-one coaching, which coaching is very different to mentoring. You know, I'm not a better footy player than him. Therefore I'm not going to mentor him about being a footy player. I'm coaching him, which means I don't need to know anything about footy at all. As it turns out, I do, and I'm interested in it. But in that case, the coaching is really about being curious about him and saying, so what is it that you're feeling? Why is it that you think you're feeling that way? It's sort of, you start to delve into, you know, them exploring what's going on for them so that they can get clear on the issues so that they can get clear of the issues so they can move past them. Yeah, I think um, for those who are running groups like boot camps and stuff like that, one thing that I would take out of a lot of this stuff and and even this period where we've been isolated and, and you know locked down and all that sort of stuff is try to make time for the individual whether it be once a once a fortnight once a month you know obviously it's hard if you've got a big group um to make some of those times fit but i think that's one of the things that that people should really as trainers should really dedicate some time towards focusing on the individual outside of the session, you know, whether it be a, a Zoom catch-up or a phone chat or, or whatever it might be. And not, not necessarily a goal-setting chat, what do you want to achieve? Yeah. But it, some kind of, um, you know, touching base, some kind of how are you going? And, and just it's a very important thing to do. And, and I think, you know, maybe, and we all know this, some clients might need once a week for these things and other clients might only need once every you know, once every challenge, if we're running a 10-week challenge, they probably need they need that once and then they're good. And then the others, they, they need to be coddled along and brought along with them. So I yeah. think that's one thing that I would sort of leave with trainers uh, as well. Totally. And as, as you'll see, I just put in the chat there, there's a great quote from um, the American, you know, poet and singer and activist, Mayor Angelou, who said, people won't remember what you said or what you did. And I think this is really important for you guys as trainers. They'll remember how you made them feel. And if I go back to my relationship with Cassie, that's exactly what it was. So um, she just texted me now every now and again, how are you going? And each session, we talked all the way through the session. You know, she wasn't distracted. She was totally focused on me. And when I could actually breathe and talk, um, you know, we talked and it was about, it was how she made me feel that that's yeah. what I'd held on to. Yeah, that's, and that's I would, a great quote. And I would imagine that's a great part of your business model as well, because if your clients feel that you know you're making them feel really good they're going to keep turning up yeah the the other one we often we often use is they don't they don't care how much you know they 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 want to know how much you care yeah yeah and you know, that's, that's a great teaching one. one isn't it you know mm. yeah 
Fantastic. Beautiful. All right, Tim, thank you very much for your time today. What we're going to do, though, uh, we'll open it up if people want to uh, take their cameras off uh, and their mics off. If they've got questions, whether it be on motivation, whether it be with their kids, whether it be with anything, uh, please jump in and ask. And uh, first person up, Cass, you can, uh, if you've got a question or you want to say thank you, you're on mute, by the way, so make sure you take yourself off mute. Hey, hey, Tim, can you hear me? I can, Cass, yeah. Awesome. Nice I don't normally wear these things. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Um, I really enjoyed it. So I'm starting a challenge on Monday, a 10-week yeah. challenge, and the first week is goal setting. So this has been really good for me, really yeah. good. Yep, I've gotten heaps out of it, and I am a writer-downer, so I've written most of it down. Oh, good on you. Um, so Cass, I, I would suggest that with the goal setting as well, mm -hmm. even that can be incredibly intimidating for people. Mm. You know, if you've got people who've never seen someone like you before, yeah. never, never met a personal trainer before, never been into a gym, for argument's sake, it's hard. You know, if I, if I, when I first met my Cass and asked her, you know, if she said to me, what are your goals? My goal, I, I, I would have been a bit clueless because I wasn't going to the city to surf stuff yet. Mm. So even that might need a little bit of, you know, building up that sense of belonging um, before people are even able to do that. So, or even showing them some examples perhaps, which works really well with kids, you know, or, or giving them some optional examples um, that might help. So good on you. Yep. Because were you, were you looking to start a kids, a kids one as well? Yeah. So I'm in the middle of doing um, a kids course. I've done your kids course a little while ago, but I didn't finish... Um, doing the one to be qualified. So I'm yep. doing that now. And um, then what I want to do is I want to try to get the kids' um, kids games and things like that into my local schools um, for their okay. sports and um, just do after-school activities. And I'm, I want to focus on kids that don't really do sports, so not the athletic kids, but the kids that the parents sort of don't know, they're not very good at soccer, so we just want to get them to have games and, yeah. you know, get the battle rope out and get them to have a, a bit of fun. Yeah. So that's yeah, what it's I'm a great market. Like, well, I grew up coaching gymnastics and we weren't, we weren't like a serious gymnastics club, you know, so it was always fun, you know, like a lot of the stuff yeah. we did revolved around fun and games and activities and, and it's a lot of the stuff that, you know... <laughs> That's in our games course, and <laughs> a lot of yeah. stuff I did teaching. It's, it's stuff that I grew up coaching when I was when I was in gymnastics. Mm. Yeah, well, we do games pretty much every um, every class. We'll do a game, so yeah, I think everybody needs to enjoy what they're doing, not just getting you know have, having to go down and do hundred push ups every day. I think that they need to enjoy yeah. what they're doing. Because it's that enjoyment, Cass, that that sends that dopamine, you know, through the brain. Yeah. Uh, which then is the intrinsic motivation because you know it's making you feel good. So, of course, you naturally gravitate to doing that thing again. Um, yep. and, and that's the same with kids. And I'm really interested in kids because I think it's a real downward spiral with kids um, because, you know, they're a little bit overweight, they're not so sporty, and that just leads to them becoming a little bit more overweight and a little bit mm. less sporty because they don't participate. So drawing those guys in is, is so important. And it's yeah. not the weight thing. I, I'm sure you guys don't get caught up on the weight thing. It's not whether someone's overweight or not, but it's more an issue of whether they're healthy or not. And I suppose the overweight is an indicator they're not so healthy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, kids is, kids is such a tricky one because um, we're, we're putting on a kids' summit next month and we've got Tim going to be coming in to chat about some of the motivation and stuff behind that. But, but I think those four pillars, it is 
you've got to find you've got to find that engagement with the kids. It's, it's very similar. It, it is very similar to adults who don't want to do it either, right? So there, there is a lot of crossover, but it's just a matter of breaking through those barriers and and just finding getting them to enjoy it and forget about what it is they don't like about it. Whether it be I don't like it because it makes me feel sweaty. I don't mm-hmm. like it because it hard work you know if you can break that down by by playing a game all of a sudden yeah. that hard work disappears yeah, yeah i agree beautiful yeah. uh marissa how's it going good really good actually i've done something really different with my challenge this time i've just and not everyone's got this tool but i've just finished um nlp studies on nlp um, yeah so what i did this time is i shut my boot camp down for a week um and did a week zero for my clients and said this week is just purely to concentrate on mindset preparation for the next round and i booked them all in you gave me this idea trev <laughs> through calendly um for a coaching course they all got a half an hour coaching call with me and they'll get another one midway through so i didn't actually use the techniques of nlp it was more just a coaching call to see basically what they wanted and what they wanted to focus mm-hmm. on and how they were so exactly what you've just said it's been yeah this has been awesome really good but i've just found the relationship like the feedback i got after the calls was amazing i mean i have great relationships with them anyway but it was just next level they just mm. they're so appreciative yeah yeah and because what, what what you've done there marissa is you've really raised their level of belonging um which and belonging, as I said, that's the garden bed. You know, I say four pillars, but it's really three pillars making a lovely teepee in a garden bed. Mm. You know, that garden bed of, of relationship is absolutely fundamental. They know you're tapping into who they are now. And that is yeah. such a motivating factor. And if you're good with people already, and I think most, you know, you guys who, this is a very relational field that you've moved into, right? This is, you know, I think we get distracted and think it's all about rippling muscles and healthy bodies but really it's incredibly relational and i think focusing on that relational aspect of it is you know every minute that you spend investing in that i think it's brilliant what you've done week zero where you coach them all they all feel valued um they can all show a bit of vulnerability with you and then the next time you all see each other it's you know there's a stronger bond still yeah it was it was that it's actually been amazing because a lot of the a lot of what's spoken to me about has nothing to do with fitness Mm. It's, yeah, it's incredible. They just yeah. basically wanted someone to give them some time to listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I think as, as as adults as well, it becomes harder and harder. You know, like I um, I think I, I mentioned, I, I always drop this book because I think it's a very good book and I, I spoke to Tim about it when I, when I chatted on Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Um, just talks about the lack of connections in our society. And it, it's sort of, it, it goes through a lot of studies. It goes through a lot of things of like, you know, if you had um, someone to talk to, who are you going to go and talk to? And and the you know they they talk about 10, 20 years ago, people had five or six people they would talk to. Now they don't know. They don't know who they would talk to, who they would turn to. And so this is where and, and as trainers we know this. How often do we get to sessions? And it's it's just you you're a psychologist. You're, you know, you know it, it is a very common thing that that happens. Um, I, I've got I actually haven't quite started that book yet but that's i've got that on my my list there it's in my audible account i meant to mention it i wrote it in my notes this is a book that i think you guys should you know i'm I'm loath to tell anyone what they should do you should read this book it's so um in line with your world 
Um, so this guy, Dan Pink, is a fantastic writer. It's very readable, very interesting and fun stories. But he uses self-determination theory and he twists a little bit. Um, and, yeah, this, this is all about how do we motivate people and how do we develop drive in other people. Uh, I think it would be a great read for you guys. I don't have a financial interest in this. This is just a recommendation. So, so that book for people listening is Drive by, Daniel, by Dan Pink. Yeah, no, so it's yeah. it's on Audible. I uh, I did uh, I downloaded it. I just finished one and, and moving on to I think I'm moving on to that one next. Yeah, but, good. Um, yeah, it's, it's there's we're looking forward to it as well. Um, any other questions, Marissa, Cass, or, or Bernadette? You had your camera up for a little bit, or Ellen tuning in. You guys have any other questions or anything else you wanted to ask of Tim? I just had to pull over my car. Um, <laughs> good thing. <laughs> I stopped. Um, I love what you said about they don't care what we know. They want to know Until how much know that you care. care. Yeah, that was just awesome. And, yeah, I've had a pretty good week of, um, like, got a couple of new clients. So I've gone and visited them at home, even though I'm, they're only my clients on my Zoom sessions. But, um, yeah, I took, like, a beginner. I took, a, like, a really light set of dumbbells and a booty band that I had spare at home and, just went around and visited her and talked her through a few things that she can do, a few alternative, easier exercises because she's a beginner and stuff like that. So she doesn't feel like um, embarrassing her through the screen on my Zoom mm. sessions. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because when we, when we chat, chat and work with all of you guys as well, you guys, that you all have – you know, the, the drive and, and, and the need to want to help people. And that's what we all got in the yeah. industry for it. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like, it, like I said, when I spoke about the two general types of trainers, even the trainer that always loved health and fitness, the reason they got into it because they like to help people. And it's, it's like me with education. I like to educate. I like to help and I like to teach. And, and it's, yeah. it's what, I, what, how I got into it. And, you know, for a lot of others, it's that, it's that, um, like I said, it's that experience of just, just wanting to help people enjoy their lives a bit more and, and, and just get more out of it, I think. And yeah. that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Have some empathy. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. And like that emotional intelligence and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. Now, um, for those of you, Tim has got his email there. Uh, it is LinkedIn, Tim Perkins, uh, Timothy John Perkins on Gmail. Uh, he has a podcast uh, as well that he's part of, which is uh, Habits of Leadership. It is definitely more on the, what's on the teaching side of things, but there's definitely bits and pieces in there that are very relevant. I know my brother's been listening to it um, and he's, you know, he's the GP and he's been enjoying it as well. And, and I know I've, uh, I definitely had a, a few things in there, which I laughed out loud about, about the teaching side of things, which was uh, scarily accurate uh, about what goes on in the, uh, in the, I can't remember, in, not in the, not in the classroom. In the staff room. In the yeah. staff room. That's, I can't even remember it anymore. In the staff <laughs> room. Travis as well. I'm, <laughs> what I'm going to do, I've been uh, stimulated by this conversation to get in contact with Cassie White and to do a podcast with her around how she manages her stuff. So um, if you guys download that podcast and, um, and hopefully in the next month or so, you'll see one uh, with Cassie White, which might be uh, perfectly relevant for you guys. Love it. And I might even steal, uh, steal the contact. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, guys, thank you very much for being here, Tim. Thank you again for, for giving up your time today. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Uh, Marissa Cass, 
again, thanks for tuning in and thanks for your questions. Thanks, guys. It was awesome. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. See you, guys. If you liked the show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your boot camp, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.